may have just blown up my blender. This pain could be your food. Welcome, food and music lovers, to This Band Could Be Your Food, a weekly podcast starring me, Nathan Palin. If you're new to the show, what we do here is we pick a band and we pick that band apart, try to find the pieces, the elements that make it special, and then try to find the equivalent food. It's an excuse for me to get together with friends and talk about our favorite bands and talk about why we love those bands, see if we can uncover some crazy trivia, that sort of thing. It's informational, and in the end, it's delicious. This week's band happens to be my favorite band, Pavement. Now, when I say my favorite band, I have to preface it by saying that that concept is ridiculous. I hate it when people are like, hey, what's your favorite song? What's your favorite band? You know, because it's not that simple. It depends on my mood. What day is today? What do I have to do? Am I driving? Am I, am I cooking some eggs? Am I cruising down a hill on my mountain bike? No, I don't, I don't ever. I don't have a mountain bike. But if I were, I don't think I'd be listening to Pavement. But maybe that's why I don't mountain bike. Hmm. There's a lot to unpack there. Don't worry about it. Okay. Someone comes up to me and they say, what's your favorite band? I have to say Pavement, which is annoying because then usually it's followed by, well, who's Pavement? And then I'm like, ugh, I should have just said the Rolling Stones so we wouldn't have to talk about it. I mean, I used to like to talk about it, but I'm older now. But when I was a kid... It was the best that I had a favorite band that you didn't know about because I could tell you all about them. But now I got stuff to do. So forget it. I'm not going to tell you. But now I guess what I can do is I can say, you should check out my podcast where I talk all about pavement. You'll learn some stuff. So that's what we're doing today. Got my good friend, Andy Hinkle. Andy Hinkle and I used to live around the block from each other. He and I have been in numerous musical acts when we were children. By children, I mean, I think under 21 years old maybe 22. And he's two years younger than me. So I don't think we ever played music while he could legally drink. But we're not going to talk about that because Andy's mother might be listening. But we are going to talk about Pavement. Now, Pavement just recently announced that they are reuniting and going on the road in Europe. They have not announced any dates in the United States. I'm assuming they're going to. But whether they do or whether they don't, I already have tickets to go see them at Sound Primavera in Porto, Portugal. So I'm all set. But that's where we're at. At the time of us recording, they had not announced any more European dates. And maybe by the time you listen to this, you've already bought your tickets for their show at Alpine Valley or wherever they're playing. Maybe you've already seen them. I don't know. doesn't matter. This particular episode is very special to me because I was actually able to get in touch with a member from Pavement who gave me some insight on various facts and which food he thought the band was. And he did a pretty good job. I might have to get his advice on what food he thinks other bands are in the future because because the kid's got a knack. Anywho, you probably already noticed that this is a longer episode than normal, but I had a hard time scaling it down. And since we didn't do an episode last week, who cares? Listen to half of it. It's a podcast. Listen to as much as you want, as much as you want to know about Pavement and my personal experiences with digesting my favorite band in my life as well as an unexpected food that we're going to get to. So let's get into it. Me and Andy talking about pavement. Here we go.
Did you hey. hear? Hey, good to see you. Good to see you. My, my good friend Andy Hinkle. Uh, yeah, man. Man, we have we have some years behind us. We do. We yeah, do. we've played music together in a lot of bands. Our first group was a uh, uh, an 18th century folk band. Mm. Seriously, yeah. you played the yeah. guitar. I played the mandolin. Yep. And yep. then we started a ska punk band called Gargamel. That actually, uh, we actually did some uh, some like pavementy tunes. Like Coffee Song was kind of pavementy. You know, I agree. I, yeah, uh, it had it had that kind of. I don't know the the chords that are not quite jazzy, but they're you know not exactly rock and roll kind of. Yeah, the like, chords where you just kind of like let a lot of the open notes ring out to give yeah. it more character and flavor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then our final musical collaboration was uh, a little band called Concrete. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> and that was what really I think that's what what split us up forever. I think that, yeah, it seems like anybody that plays pavement songs eventually is bound to um, break up. So it's nice to finally see you again after 20 years. Yeah. Wow. We can bury the hatchet since then. Um, But I'm very excited to talk. Like you were the guy that I thought would be the guy to talk pavement about. Cause Mm -hmm. you and I, I think have had the most pavement connections. Second only maybe to Eugene Kim. Yes. Um, I thought about him too. When, (laughs) when, when when you proposed this project. Sure. I might, I might save him. (laughs) I mean, I'll see if he wants to do it. it does, I don't know if he's going to be up for it, but if he is, I mean, we'll probably end up talking about Dinosaur Jr. or something like that because he's the one that turned me on to Dinosaur Jr. Oh, really? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. That's awesome. Well, you are the one that turned me on to pavement. For sure. That's that's re- right. Um, I, I remember. Mean, what, what, what can you do? You remember how it is I turned you on to pavement? Give me your your pa- your pavement introduction <laughs> oh, yeah. story. It's hard Absolutely. for me to remember. Absolutely. Let's hear it. Um, well, you had. I mean, you. What was that car? It was uh, it was like sort of tan colored. Oh, that was my, my Mercury Tracer. Yeah, eighty nine yeah. Mercury so you Tracer. Had, you had like <laughs> you know you're a couple years older than me, and you, so you could drive before I could, and you moved uh, into the neighborhood. Yeah, like around the block uh, when I was, uh, I guess, a freshman, maybe a sophomore. Yes, and yeah, you used to. And we, used and, to, we and the thing about us is we had the thing where you, me, and John were living on the other side of town and going, oh, that's right. going to the opposite school. That's right. We were driving to the east side from the west side, and we were like the only ones, and we happened to live all real close together, and yeah. uh, we were all into music, and yeah, so you had that car, and you had like a non-functional um, stereo. I don't know if it had a tape deck, and the tape deck was broken, or if it <laughs> never had a tape deck even, uh, but you had like this little tiny, like, you know, the thing weighed like a pound and a half, the little tiny boombox. Boombox is even like too big a name for it, but it was just like the little... <laughs> It was the little. I don't remember you know, this. Are you serious? No. I, oh my I, god! This I is my formative memory. experience. I mu- it must. I must have got it working at some point. But keep going. And there would be. Uh, there were tapes. Yeah. Just everywhere, and <laughs> and I mean, and there was like fast food bags and stuff too. But mostly there was just tapes, and it was like you know back in the day when like you had. I mean, some of the tapes you had actually purchased, but mostly it was like dubbed things. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I guess you recorded it from a friend or recorded it off. It was CDs. I was doing CDs. Yeah. The car didn't have a CD player. So I'd tape it on cassettes solely so I could listen to it in the car. Yeah. So we would roll around, roll around Jamesville. And, uh, and, uh, and, you know, if I was shotgun, I'd be like in charge of putting the tapes into the little thing and pushing play and rewinding. And, and you would just, you would like, uh, you would just introduce me to stuff. I mean, tons of stuff. 
Um, and which was like my favorite thing to do, turn people on to music. Okay. Yeah. yeah, no, it's a great experience. Now I, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I, I particularly remember we took with that folk band, we took a um, we took a trip to like the middle of Indiana. Oh yes, West Lafayette. Lafayette. That's right. And uh, <laughs> hi, Axel. And uh, <laughs> uh, Bill, William, and we yeah we listened to we listened to Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain like nonstop on that trip. Yeah. It was yeah. and that was like it might not have been the first time I heard it, but it was like it, it was emblematic of that 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 road trip yeah. for me. And you know I was young and it was like first one of the first times like kind of being out on my own a little bit grown up and uh, yeah now I. Yeah, that's, that's where that uh, happened. <laughs> I learned about them from, you know, normally you would say MTV, but for me, I actually bought these VHS cassette tapes. Um, and there was like, um, there was like a series, like once a month, they would send you a new VHS cassette tape that had all these bands on it. And I bought it initially because it had like Mighty Mighty Boss Tones and Dinosaur Jr. And I mean, it was packed. I think it had uh, Weens, Push Little Daisies, and make them up, make them come up. Wow, that's all amazing! The, so it was like the videos that were on MTV, but yeah, just yeah, on VHS. Okay. Yeah, but it was like I remember. I remember I would watch like 120 minutes, and I would be interested in maybe like, you know, a, a tenth of the videos that would be on. It'd be like a lot. I mean, I, I wasn't keen to the Cure or All or you know, like there was a lot of I don't know. There's a lot of stuff. But like this thing, it was like Mighty Mighty Boss Toads. I'd never seen them on MTV and they were like kind of my favorite band at the time. So I got that. And then there was the video for Cut Your Hair. And it was <laughs> the most ridiculous video. If you haven't seen the video for Cut Your Hair, take a moment, go to YouTube and watch that video if you haven't seen it. I'm sure I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have seen it a number of times. Um, so it came out. And then the problem was, this was also the prime time when they were putting out CDs that had exactly one good song on them. <laughs> and if you, and, and so, you know, you do the Columbia house thing and like you get the 311 CD and be like, God, there's one good song and the rest of it's garbage, et cetera. Yeah. So they were expensive then too. Like there, there was a time period in which just buying it, I guess, you know, uh, we don't buy albums anymore, but <laughs> they were, uh, yeah, yeah, they yeah. were. We don't take chances. Extra, we don't take chances on albums anymore. They were extra expensive. Oh, and now you can hear the whole album before you pay for it. Really, yeah. But, if, yeah, but uh, if yeah, and that was a time when things were extra expensive. When you were, you know, if, particularly if you were sixteen years old and delivering pizza, like that was a big yeah, investment for sure. For one yeah. good song. Yeah, exactly. So, and and forgive me, like after hearing that song, being like that, that might be the only good song on the record. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like slightly out of tune. It's melodic. It's sloppy. It's just kind of like maybe someone wrote it for him. Who knows? Um, but then the, the video for Gold Sounds came out and that song was even better. So I was like, all right, I'm in. And I remember awesome. Eugene and I both got both got that record and we like just played played it to death. And it was so good. And, and it's it's a perfect record. I don't. Yeah. I, I find not one. Even some people will will complain about "Shoot the Plane Down." I think it's perfect. It's like the perfect second to last song. <laughs> I, I totally agree. I totally yeah. agree. I yeah, yeah, yeah. not every song is is "Cut Your Hair" or "Range Life" or "Gold Sounds." It's like I mean, you know, there's 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 pavementy aspects like "Hit the Plane Down." Like, yeah, and that's part of what makes a pavement record a pavement record. If you don't, Definitely. if you're not into that, then like, yeah, it's got to get messy yeah. at a certain point. 
Um, but I mean, like that's where their influences came from. Is they were they were into Sonic Youth, The Fall. They're into you know like noise music. Um, yes. And they have a really you know they have an interesting history. But I mean, before we get into the history, typically we want to talk about what food they're going to be. So we're just talking about little things. You know, California is where they say they're from, even though they're also as much from New York as they are from California. Um, The initial meetup was Stockton, California, which I've never heard of Stockton, California, even to this day, except when we talk (laughs) about where payment's from. Except when we talk about payment. I think it's near Sacramento is what I understand. I'm so bad at at my California geography. I've spent very little time in that gigantic state. So I, yeah. yeah, it's, I think it's, it's like the Texas of the of West San coast. Francisco. I don't, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. It is. Yeah. Um, so anyways, it, and it's like a town full of rednecks and punk rockers. It's just really a blend. And that's where, that's where the two main guys, Stephen Malkmus SM and uh, Scott Canberg, AKA spiral stairs. Um, they met in high school and they had a love hate relationship for each other, but they were both into music. So that's what kind of bonded them together. <laughs> and, uh, I, for, I, for, I, I know that Scott told this story about one day he goes to the school dance and they get to hire a band for their school dance and they hire a band called the death of Christianity. <laughs> okay. And they were just filled like with like you do. I mean, they, yeah, yeah. and they're just dance. they're just filled with old punk rockers from around town, and uh, they played. And they I guess, some rednecks were outside um, protesting. Um, but the drummer of uh, Death of Christianity was a was a man named uh, Gary Young. That was the introduction to Gary Young, who goes on to uh, be sort of the vehicle for pavement to exist. Gary right. Young was their first drummer, but not necessarily hired to be the drummer. He's the guy who had a studio. Right. So those guys go to this guy who's like 15 years older, his house, and he's, then you know they start writing these weird songs and he kind of records them really weirdly, you know? <laughs> right, it's not and like, he's it's super a, into it. He's, he's like, wow, these guys are amazing. Yeah, he, he, it would say things like, I don't know how the fuck he comes up with this Shoot. shit, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, it's, yeah. And yeah, it's, so I, in preparation for this, I got, I was, I was like, oh, I got to, you know, study. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I'm going to get that book about, I know there's a book, I know some book about payment. And there's a book. Of course, yeah. it's called Perfect Sound Forever. Yep. And, uh, and I was like, oh, I'm just going to buy it. And I went online and it's out of print and I could buy it. But for like, it was literally listed for like nine hundred dollars or something like that. It's completely insane. <laughs> but I'm not going to reimburse you. Guess who has that. it? Guess yeah. who has it? Uh, Madison Public Library. Madison Public Library. Yeah, so yeah, man, kudos to out, them. Shout out to the local libraries everywhere for, was, for having Wisconsin libraries have had good stuff. I remember I would get CDs at the Janesville Public Library, and I got. I got I rented uh, Sorry Ma Take Out the Trash by by the replacements and mm-hmm. um just CDs you would like Luna was there and was like, what are these CDs doing yeah. in the Janesville Public Library? Yeah, I was people like, that work in the libraries, they know what they're doing. Yeah, they something do. like that. So, anyways, this is this is what's exciting. When I came up with this idea for the podcast, Andy Hinkle, mm-hmm. um I I was, you know, I'm I'm a member of a Facebook pavement appreciation society group. And one day somebody wrote something on there and about um, about a favorite pavement song. Um, I forget which song it is. Not that it's super important, but 
for clarity's sake, the song is Transport is Arranged off of Brighton the Corners. Pavement's fourth record. Carry on. So this fella, this fella, Bob Nastanovich, he chimes in, you know, with this conversation. And I'm like, oh my God. So I possibly have the ear of Bob Nastanovich. So I type him a thing. I'm like, hey, Bob, lifelong payment fan here. Listen, I'm currently putting together a podcast that pairs a band with the food. What I'll be doing is talking about the band. Weird. I'm not going to tell you what I told Bob. That's between me and Andy. Um, I, I, can I interrupt for one second? Yes. I know, I know there's more to this story, but I just want to say that is what I love about you. Shoot your shot, man. You shoot your shot. Oh, what else are you going to do? You, you live once. <laughs> you live once. The worst that can happen is he doesn't respond to me. And I have sent these texts to various, you know, minor stars in the indie rock scene who have not given me the time of day. So kudos to Bob for being the first one to finally throw me a bone. All right. Anyways, <laughs> so uh, after a little while, he writes, right on. Payment would be, colon. And then I wait. It seems like an hour and a half no. after I get Bob's response. Right on, oh. payment would be dot, dot, dot. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going <laughs> to And then I'm like, an hour later, I'm like, did he forget that I? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I get this question like nine times a day. So yeah, yeah I'm sorry. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. It, I let it go. I mean, but this means he put a lot of thought into it. Mm-hmm. I true. think. He was yeah. thinking that entire time. He was or sitting yeah. there with his phone. Like, yeah. You know, hmm. Is it? No, it's not pulled pork tacos. It's, um, it's and he comes and then, and then ah, it comes back. California date shake. Have you ever heard of a California date shake? I mean, I know you have now because we were I talking have now. about it. But I had never heard now. of it. I and the first thing that came to my mind was that it was probably like, you know, like a health food thing, like something that, you know, like a, a recent a recent invention that was like you know gonna you know prolong your life or whatever i turned out to be completely wrong about that yes i did some investigation and um i uh i think he hit the nail on the head pavement is pavement is a california date shake here we go As I was trying to prepare for this episode, I l- tried to find as many podcasts as I can about pavement, and there's tons of them. Yeah, like, dedicated on pavement solely. Um, and um, I didn't. There's one where they like go song by song. Yeah, I started listening to that actually. And How was, was that one? Is that one? I liked it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like I don't know. It's a it's a guy. He's he he like basically starts it off with a disclaimer that like I'm not. I'm not cool enough for you to me listen to me talk about this. <laughs> but, <laughs> All right, but I'm gonna tell you about every single payment song. <laughs> and there's like, there's like I can't remember. It was like 207 episodes. Or yeah, he does. So like, he, I'm not sure he's done yet. He even does no tan lines and Westy can't drum and all yeah, the yeah. Uh, no, he's, he's, not, and... he's not kidding. He's doing every single payment song. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. What's really interesting about payment is they're they have always been a band that, you know, separates the country 
It's always been on the East Coast and the West Coast, and then later even splintered into more directions. Mm -hmm. um, towards the end, all five of them lived in completely different places. Right. Um, and I'll do my best to see if I can remember what places they live in. I think I know most <laughs> of them. So yeah, it starts in Stockton. These two, these two jokers, they meet, they meet Gary Young, and they start recording. Um, and it's, it's essentially a recording project. They had no aspirations to performing live. It was kind of impossible, really. It was two know, dudes with guitars. Yeah, two dudes with the guitars, and they, I mean, those two dudes with guitars had a band before that. They were called uh, Bag of Bones, and apparently, whoever was in charge of the band told Stephen that he shouldn't sing because he didn't have a very good voice. <laughs> I saw. <laughs> you should never sing. I think is the quote. <laughs> you should never sing. <laughs> so then, Stephen goes to college um, in University of Virginia. Yeah, that's where, and that's where he meets. Bob Nastanovich. The two of them are both DJs at the local radio station. And who else happens to go to that school? Um, David Berman. And we will get into that. Those are the, I mean, that is the essence of the Silver Jews, the beginning of the Silver Jews. David Berman um, eventually fires those two guys because it seems like David is an interesting character. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about that on a completely different episode. We're going to, we're going to stick with payment All for right. the time being. Fair so, enough. you know, you can't really stress enough how much David Berman is important to sort of the, the beginning formation of, of payment even. Um, so they all eventually moved to Hoboken and they have like a big house in Hoboken, um, that, uh, just has like eight to 12 different, you know, rock dudes that are sort of going in and out of the place. It's a big party flop house. And um, Bob's living there. David Berman's living there. Steve's living there. I think also uh, James McNew, the bass player of Yola Tango, is also living there. At the very least, he's in the first band that they have. It's called Ecto, Ectoslavia is what they're called. And they were just there to make noise. The, the first, that's the first band that those two guys get kicked out of. David Berman <laughs> fires Bob and Steven <laughs> for whatever reason the first time around. And after that, um, they tried to make, I guess, a go of it, whatever that means. I think James McNew um, was playing bass at the time, but whatever. It never panned out. Meanwhile, they're all working a job at the Whitney um, as, as security guards. David, David Berman. Steve Malkmus, as well as uh, future payment drummer Steve West, who uh, Steve West, in the the broader connection of things, actually went to high school with Bob Nastanovich. So right. there you go. Those guys knew each other since they were thirteen. So, anyways, that's how this whole this whole mess plays together. <laughs> So around that time, Stevens like traveling back to Stockton. When he goes, he hooks up with his buddy Scott, and Scott's working at a record store. And you know, Steve is a is a DJ, and they're playing records for each other. And they're just sort of like, "Hey, man, we should just start a band," you know, even though we don't we live in different places. And that's when they make their first recording. Um, and I I want to say that their first recording is put out by Drag City Records. I do think it's remarkable. I mean maybe this is a silly thing to say, but like the pavement, silver Jews, like, you know, as long as we're going to start one incredible band with an incredible songwriter, songwriters. Yeah. Like, we might as well have two just, yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. Like Bob will say like his luck, you know, he already at the same time met one of the greatest guitar players, which is Steve Malkmus. He's just like Steve Malkmus plays guitar. Like most people, you know, drink a, 
you know, drink a beer or drink a milkshake. And, and so differently though. I mean, very different. Well, di- yeah. Like nobody else. It's incredible. I, I, I mean, I, as a, as a really bad guitar player, I'm in awe of a lot of, you know, better guitar players, but like, I mean, just like as, all the different tunings and stuff. It's, it's mind blowing. As an average guitar player, like trying to learn his songs has always been just like, they're, I mean, it, it, it's, I, you know, it would make more sense if we would use his tuning. And I think if you want to reference it, you can go to the Mark Marin podcast and he tells you what his tuning is. Um, you want to know Steve Malcolm's tuning? Listen. That is the pavement tuning. It's D, A, D, A again, B. So you don't do anything with that one. E. You don't do anything with that one. But then you can play stuff like this. So there you go. Now you know. Oh, there's like there's a bunch of different ones. I mean, he, yeah. Well, there's more. Know. There's I think there's more different ones earlier on, and then eventually he realizes oh, that it's pretty. Decides, it's pretty tricky. Yeah, <laughs> he stick he sticks to one because performing live it's difficult. Because I to remember sort of like keep tuning your guitar in between. Well, each or song. like yeah, there would always be a guy flying in after every song. <laughs> Here, here's another guitar. Yeah, try try this one now. One. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or tu- it's tuned incorrectly for the next one. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, uh, so anyways, their, their friendship is, is really bonding. And, and I'm going to tell you this story that I heard that cracks me up that really bonded the three of them together. They all go to, um, they go to Maxwell's in Hoboken, which is a very famous rock club. It's no longer there. And it is the crime of the century because it's such a great rock venue. Anyway, so Nirvana's playing there. Okay. And this is, this is not Nirvana before their like MTV success. They're just sub pop popular but at the time um sub pop bands were most popular in seattle of course in new york city so if somebody was coming to town that was from sub pop everybody had to go to the show so dave steven and bob all go to the show and they decide to heckle nirvana throughout the (laughs) entire set and david berman being like this tall lanky dude with like the sharpest wit is just like hurling insults at at Chris Novoselic. (laughs) And Chris Novoselic is like getting really bothered by it. And he's like, oh, I guess we're so popular. The jocks are coming to see us. And it's funny because (laughs) David Berman is not a jock. He's like, he gave up soccer when he was nine. And he's like one of the most unathletic people on the planet Earth. But, you know, uh, but, and so then meanwhile, like, like Bob is like coming up with one liners and delivering them to David to scream at him. <laughs> and, uh, so like, I guess they, they cut the show early and they do their, like, they smash up their stuff and, and, um, and David, uh, he, he leaves like marching something like, and hey, we destroyed grunge. I don't know what he said. He said, he said something like along those lines. Let me, uh, little did he know. You know what? What I'm going to do right now? I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to text Bob Nistanovich and see if he replies. Why not? Bob. Period. What did David Berman say at the conclusion of the Nirvana show after heckling them at Maxwell's? Question mark. Let's see if he gets back to me. After a day or so, Bob did get back to me and informed me David Berman had screamed sub pop destruction. Thanks, Bob. Ever the gentleman. Dot, dot, dot. I am totally bugged. I'm nobody is ever going to talk to me again after uh, <laughs> every uh, every. Yeah, no, you're burning your bridges, man. I can't help it. Anyways, so 
Okay, so then they go out into the parking lot and they're drinking beers. Like, I guess you can, there was like a store you could get like a, a $1 40 ounce or like a 24 ounce tall boy. And they're out there and everybody's coming out of the show and like yelling at them. And they're so upset, but it, it bonded them. It bonded pavement. And, uh, you know, really kind of, you know, set the mark for, you know, how grunge was going to be ruined in the future. <laughs> You know, That's the beginning because of the end. it, it was, I mean, it was, yeah. It, cause, cause Nirvana happens, you know, like happens in a real thing. And that's when all the major labels, they want to get their next Nirvana. So they, you know, they, they, they bring out Dinosaur Jr. And, and, you know, it, it had happened a little bit before, like REM was a college band, the replacements, Husker Du, they gave them major label contracts and they pretty much did nothing you know, nothing successful. I mean, except for REM. REM was kind of getting there, but these other yeah, bands they, were... They did okay. They did okay, yeah. <laughs> um, but the rest of them, nobody really did anything. And then all of a sudden Nirvana hits, and then there just isn't enough money to throw at all these alternative bands. Um, but somehow Pavement, they just did not even bother to go to a major label. They were on Matador. Um, I mean, oddly enough, it seemed what the major labels decided to do just said, okay, well, we're going to make Matador a major label record. So they started getting distributed by capital, which is how I was able to pick up a ton of Matador records on Columbia house music at, at oh. a certain, certain point. Yeah. Back to Columbia like the, house. Back to Columbia house. That's where I, that's, that's where I picked up. Uh, if you're feeling sinister by Bell and Sebastian. Oh my goodness. Um, I, I don't think that I, I think I'd already had all the pavement records by then, but I remember, I, I think I got a Yola Tango. Yes, I got a Yellow Tango record. Um, I got a Medisky Martin Wood record. I, I actually, you know, I didn't. I didn't have to like, you know, just say, "All right, well, I'll get." I guess I'll get the Skid Row record, or I guess I'll get. I was you know, literally just going to say Skid Row. <laughs> yeah. No disrespect think, to Skid Row, by the way. All the yeah. respect to Skid Row. Um, fair enough. Your words, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and so, you know, Dinosaur Jr. didn't quite make it. You know, Nirvana, I kept kept popping out the things. But, you know, Pavement stood out. Um, and it's, like, for, for a couple of reasons. Like, their lyrics are so in the moment. There's no, like, story being told. But they really grasped the idea that if you're going to listen to this Pavement song for three seconds you're going to get a little tidbit to carry with you and sort of think about all day. So it made it great because these little tidbits are almost impossible to take all of them in in one listening. But after multiple listenings, you catch every little tiny thing that, you know, Steve Malkman's delivers. And, uh, and it's, it's glorious. And then, like, once you have them memorized, you go see him live, and then he messes up the lyrics. Like, to... <laughs> t- t- to screw with everybody. Like, oh, you think you know what the lyrics are? Guess what? You don't. <laughs> yeah. I, they are, they're what I say they are. That's <laughs> right. I think that's yeah. a, a part of the band that is, I mean, obviously it's endearing. Like, we, yeah. we love them. Uh, but also, like, just kind of the, um, the archness and the, the, like, eye rolling that you see a lot when yeah. he's singing. It's just, like, kind of, like, you know, I mean, this this entire enterprise is is a little silly. Like being a rock star is kind of silly, and oh, like God. you sort of like I don't know. He's sort of like publicly coping with that at the same time that he's delivering these 
you know, these amazing, witty, like really, uh, honestly, heartfelt. Like there's so much to me sure. anyway, like there's so much that I hear in those songs that I'm like, you know, that means a lot to me. And yet it's also yes. ridiculous. Relig ridiculously meaningless yeah. and meaningful at the same time. Yeah. It's the best balancing act that they ever had to say, we don't care, but they don't, they, they sound like they don't care, yeah. but, they but they so don't care. care. <laughs> right. They so care, you know, I, like. I saw a quote in that, in that book, uh, Imperfect Sound Forever, where he said, where Malcolm says, actually, most of the time we were trying as hard as we could to be entertaining. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he would, I mean, he would play the guitar on his back, you know, like, you yeah. you, if you don't care, you don't do that. <laughs> That's right. kind of hard to do. Like all these little spin moves and stuff. And Right. And, you have uh, some ironic distance and also you, you love it. Yes, exactly. It yeah. So briefly back to the history, we've, we've gotten through like three of the members. Um, the most entertaining member of Pavement is Gary Young, their original drummer, who is 15 years older than everybody and a horrible alcoholic. So he drinks a lot. And then I guess on their first tour, he also buys a gun. So he has a shotgun with him and he's just like, hey, look, they just sell these to anybody. So then they're, to <laughs> they're touring around with a shotgun in their van. And, um, oh, man. and surprisingly, the member... The, the other members of Pavement are, are like, well, I guess that's just how it's going to be. Um, and then they just go along with it. I mean, they do sell these to literally anyone. Yeah. Almost. Absolutely. And, um, you know, Gary is the senior member. He's the older guy to look up to. Who, who is going to have the gojones to say, hey, I think you're out of line, sir? Yeah, I mean, that's right. He's Papa. Papa got he's, the shotgun. He's, so then this brings us to Bob Nastanovich, his unique role in the band is essentially to make sure that there is a beat being played. Um, before they were going to go on their first tour, Bob thought he was just going to be selling t-shirts and being the road manager. And then Steve, maybe a week before they go on tour said, Hey, maybe you want to pick up a couple of drums just in case Gary isn't going to be able to deliver on a emergency consistent basis. Drummer. Emergency drummer. And Bob's like, Oh, okay. And I don't think that, Bob knows how to play the drums at, at all at this point in time. I think he was in marching band. I think <laughs> I think I read that he was in marching band in high school. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Oh, he may okay. have not been. You know, he may not have thought of, of himself as a working drummer, but sure. he, he knew a little bit. Yes, yeah. he had yeah. no plans of being in the band, but it was out of necessity. Yeah, no, emergency so, drummer is an amazing amazing role. It, um, <laughs> hasn't I, I mean, it probably has happened more times than we know, but. Well, then what's happening is Stephen Malkmus, after they make their first seven inch, he takes his graduation present money and decides to travel the world. Um, he goes to the Middle East, and I believe at a certain point he's in London at a record store, and then all of a sudden he hears his first seven inch being played over the speakers at the record store. And he goes up, he's like, hey, that's my band. Completely unbeknownst. Because meanwhile, Scott back in Stockton is like, well, I mean, we made this seven inch. We might as well get it out. So he does the work, getting the word out, sending the seven inch to get it reviewed. And to their dismay, they're getting great reviews. They're all of a sudden just becoming this great underground thing. It's really, you know, like the, the, the name of the band pavement is weird. Their music super weird. Um, I remember they said like Thurston Moore would hear uh, the about pavement and think, what are they going to be some metal band and put it on and it'd be, <laughs> totally up 
his alley. Uh, and then meanwhile, like back in New York, uh, those fellas, some of those guys living in New York, Mark Eibold, the bass player, becomes an early pavement fan and tracks those guys down. And I had heard, I don't know if this is true, I had heard that he had said, you know, Sonic Youth is about to go on tour and they're going to take me with them, but I can tell him no if you want me to play bass in your band. Maybe really? I make, that's what I heard. I heard wow. that many years ago and maybe my brain has mixed it up, but regardless, <laughs> whether or not this is true, let it be folklore. It's fun. However, what is true is that Mark Eibold did eventually go on to be a fifth member of Sonic Youth, uh, joining the classic four-piece lineup. And this was in 2006, shortly after the departure of their other fifth member, Jim O'Rourke, who's also awesome and has a bunch of records out. He's super cool. So it's good company, Jim O'Rourke into Mark Eibold. Man, if Payment does another record, I want it to be produced by Jim O'Rourke. Just throwing that out there. Jim O'Rourke did Yankee Hotel Foxtrot by Wilco, so that's what we're talking about here. Carry on. They need a bass player. They bring in Mark Eibold. They've got their five-piece that goes on tour um, to support their album Slanted and Enchanted. They get a label, Matador Records. And um, yeah, they have a, a great tour, even though Gary Young is being an, an insane alcoholic and buying shotguns. And so one day, I believe it was in Amsterdam, he just says, I quit. I don't want to be in this band anymore. Um, or he makes all of these demands. And Bob Nastanovich, kind of being his best friend, is just like, you're crazy, Gary. We can't do this and that. you know. And then he says, fine, I'm done. He quits the band. At that moment, Bob thinks, well, my role here in playing drums for a guy who isn't always going to play drums is clearly going to be gone. And he says he even made a promise to Gary. He said, listen, you know, if, if you're not drumming, then I'm not going to be playing any more pavement gigs either. But it gets complicated their next drummer is Steve West, the guy that Bob has known since he was 13. They've been lifelong friends. Steve was what the other security guard at the Whitney. So they decide to keep Bob on. Bob wants to stay on, and he continues to be in the band. Uh, as, as much as people like to say, you know, Bob has no job being in the band. And, um, but That's I mean, you can't, right. you can't imagine, like, you, yeah, it's not right. They would not be, it would not be right to see pavement without Bob up there kind of playing along, just playing the cymbal and shouting, screaming, doing all the screaming parts. And, and, um, I remember Malkmus once, I think he somewhat jokingly said, you know, I let him do all the screaming so I can save my, my voice. Yeah. I think that's, that is indeed the (laughs) case. It's like, it's like a, it's like a utility player, man. Like he is. He's uh, he's got he's got some drumming. He's got some weird little keyboards. He's got some screaming. Yeah. You know, it's good. He's it's a- good to be. It's good to be useful. He's also right. the road manager. He's right. always like. Well, I mean, as much as the band is self managed, he's kind of like the one guy who sort of keeps everybody together. Like even even when they're doing when when somebody says, "Hey, let's do a reunion," what they do is if other members of the band have that idea. They're like, Bob, can you talk to Steven and see if you can talk him into it? Like, he's the one guy that really gets along with everybody super well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But one of the things that I found interesting, um, they were on tour at Lollapalooza. We'll call it Lollapalooza 4. Probably the, at the time, when I looked at the lineup, I wanted to be there. It was like the Mighty Mighty Boston's were playing, um, Sinead O'Connor for whatever reason, Sonic Youth. But they, the, the band will tell you that that show was the show that uh, led to the 
demise of Lollapalooza and that everybody should be proud of them for ending that horrible <laughs> festival. Um, but and yet it just happened last week. I mean, they've remodeled it. They just put it in Chicago, and that I think that's cool with everybody. Um, but one of the things I think is hilarious is that they were on tour with the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, another band who has a guy on stage where it's like, what's he doing? Yeah, the comparison is is inevitable. Yes, um, but that guy, all his job is is, is to dance. Uh, ben Carr, I think, is his name. He's the man. He's the manager of the Boss Tones. So same thing with pavement. I did you not know, know that. Bob is, Bob is the manager. Yeah, so that, that's how they, they sort of get away with it. And I guess those two bands became really close buddies while they were on tour. Like those, I didn't know that either. Yeah, they were hanging that's out. That's another band that you turned me on to. I'm not, yeah. I, I'm not you know. Did, did, did we ever go see the Boston's in, in uh, Milwaukee? Did you ever go with me? I saw them um, a, probably a half dozen times. So the truth is, Nate, that uh, that was like, like the first. First show? No, no, no. I did. That was the like the very first show that I ever went to. Um, oh wow! That was you, you, me, um, a couple of the guys in that in that Mercury uh, going yeah, to the yeah. to the rave in Milwaukee, and we saw um, the Boston's, and the opener was the Pacers. Yes. And then we got pulled over two different times on the way home. <gasps> we did get pulled over. <laughs> no, we Why got pulled over we... once. No, I think we got, we got pulled over twice because the second cop was like. Oh, well, he's yeah. been searched, so I guess it's really not Yeah, they searched our car. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> what did we get pulled over for? Did I have a, maybe I uh, had an expired plate. I think maybe like you had a headlight out or something like that, you know. It was an uh, excuse, yeah. obviously, but. Yeah, I mean, obviously I should have been, you know, more on my ca- car <laughs> game, but. <laughs> hey. um, God, it's so funny. Um, so yeah, and, and pavement they brought along cause they, they, everybody at Lollapalooza was allowed to have a, uh, a tractor trailer full of gear and they put all their equipment in and they was only, it only filled up like an eighth of the, the tractor trailer. So they're like, let's bring a, let's bring a ping pong table. So they brought a ping pong table with them on the Lollapalooza tour. That's why you got to have a good band manager, man. Totally. Yeah. Smart thinking. And that ended up being like a way for them to kill time and hang out with the other bands that were on the tour. They ended up becoming friends with Elastica who took over for Sinead O'Connor because she lasted like a week and just said, this is stupid, you know, and um, that it all comes to head with their last album, Terror Twilight. The album that is produced by that guy from Radiohead. Right. It's not the, it's not the guy from don't, don't, don't put me on here saying this. It's not the guy from Radiohead. Is it, is it, it's, it's not the, like it's the one producer. of the members. Okay, no, yeah. it's, Ni- it's Nigel, Nigel Goodrich yeah, or Godrich. Just, there we go. Nigel Godrich. He's a big fan of the band and, and volunteers to produce that, the record. Um, and I remember we, we were really fortunate to get an advanced copy yeah. of, ter- of Terror Twilight. Yeah, that was nuts. Was, that, was that, like, was, that was like the greatest thing that had ever happened to us. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, that now, and the, we had the. Um, I remember you were the first one. This this is really ridiculous, like fanning out. But like you were the first one who you came to visit me. I lived in New York at the time, and you were. I think were you here? Were you in Madison at that time? I can't I remember. Was uh, yes. Yeah, but you were walking down the street. Uh, there was a record store on Ninth Street that uh, that I think like Mark Eibold's friend owned and yes you were like i just saw mark <laughs> I 
yeah. at a record store. And then yeah. like I had just moved to that apartment and like so I would, you know, walk to school every day. Um yeah. and I would and then from then on I would like look in there every time I went by and yeah, I did see him a few times. Just yeah, like you yeah, like yeah. to hang out. Yeah, and I saw I can't him. I remember the name of the store because I saw him a second time too. Like, because I saw him the one time, and then I saw him the next time. And the lady I was with at the time is like, "You got to go talk to him." And I'm like, "What am I going to talk to him about?" I remember. So this. I went up and I was like, "Are you Mark Eibold? <laughs> I know you're. I know you're Mark Eibold. <laughs> hey, man, that's so great to see you." Yeah. So yeah, my friends, my my very good friend, uh, had a friend of a friend who yeah was doing like an internship at Matador and. Uh, I remember. I think I, it was I, his girlfriend's friend worked there, and like he he came home with the tape, and he's like, "This is the new pavement record." And I mean, I don't know. I suppose nowadays, like that would be less exciting. But at the time, I didn't. I didn't know how anything worked. I was like, "Really?" <laughs> and, yeah. And yeah, we listened to it. It was only like a week and a half or two weeks before it came out, and yeah, we quickly like got you on. <laughs> my my memory my memory is it was earlier than that. I, I remember oh, yeah. it seemed like we had it for like a month because maybe, when, maybe we, a month. when we because we went and saw them at the Metro in Chicago. We did you come? Were you there? Yeah, I was there okay. For that. Okay, we because they did two nights in a row. Yep, and we saw them um, two nights. We saw they, them both nights. The show and, was almost identical except the first night. I think they they opened with something from Slannon and Shannon, and the second night they opened with here. I think the first night they opened was Summer Babe, and then they yes did, this, the next one. Did. But they did. I think they did a loud here. Yeah, they did the loud version, like the John Peel sessions version. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. My favorite part about that show is they had not played any songs from Crooked Rain, which was has always been my favorite record of theirs. And so, in the back of the room, they came out for their encore, and I was like a little disturbed that they had played zero songs from it. And I scream out, "Gold Souls!" And then I see Mac, Malcolm's turn around and talk to the guys, and they played Gold Sounds. <laughs> Maybe it was a coincidence, but in I my heart, I did, I did that. that. It was the greatest version of Gold Sounds I'd ever heard. So proud of yeah. myself at that moment. Yeah, but we, I remember listening. I remember, and then, like, the, we were, because we, we didn't know, like, we thought maybe, oh, maybe they're going to, like, rearrange the songs, or maybe there'll be a song that's not on there. And so, like, I was really excited when the album actually came out, and I went and bought it, even though I already had it. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. and I was like, oh no, it's this is it. This is the album. That's the record. <laughs> yeah, it was hard to believe. Like, how did we just get a copy? Of it? <laughs> yeah, I, I did the same thing. I bought the CD. Yeah, exactly. Maybe maybe something was left off. But well, the one thing about it is that uh, Nigel Goodrich had a different lineup in mind. Oh, really? And I think that there might be like a Segway song that never made it onto the record. Really? And I guess we're going to get an opportunity to hear that because they're finally releasing the deluxe package of Terror Twilight. Terror Twilight. Yeah. It's been a long time coming because they, they re-released all four albums, the first four. Yeah. And then that, we just kind of been sitting around waiting. That has kind of been, I mean, I got to say, that has kind of been awesome. Like the, they've been very generous. I mean, I'm sure they make money off it too, but they've been like, it's been pretty awesome like to get all of these like you know double triple length yeah remakes of like the albums that i love so much and just like hear like all the different versions and i don't know it's neat totally here are the Absolutely. ones where malcolmus is like counting things off and like sort of giving instruction while playing yeah 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 <laughs> totally um and if you listen to bright in the corners you can probably take the b-sides off of that and put together another really solid pavement album. 
Like sure. that that could have been a double record. But I mean they didn't put on they didn't put on no tan lines. They didn't put on their strange breakout hit on Spotify. Um Harness oh, Your Hopes. Harness Your Hopes. Yeah. Harness Your Hopes has strangely become the most popular pavement song on Spotify. It's I number did not one. Know that. Really? It's number one. Yes. How'd that and happen? It's, it's one of these everybody's trying to figure out why and nobody can seem to. It's just I maybe it was on, I think it might have been on a, a soundtrack or something to something, but really just like background kind of music. Maybe mm-hmm. it made it onto like a, a meme or a TikTok or something like that. Huh. But it has turned it into like a resurgence for pavement popularity. So now it pops up when people do their um like Spotify recommend weekly thing, like that song just pops up and then it's taken hold. I had no and idea. They, they didn't even put it on the record. So huh. Yeah. So I'm hoping when I go see them out in Portugal that they're going to play that tune because it's always nice to hear the, the weird side When songs. is that? That Well, now it's 2022. June, June of 2022. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, you want to go make a shake? Let's go make some shakes. All right. She took a shot at the go. She had no idea it would take this long. She pulled out her weapons She was on the second string So let's sing In her honor She's had it all But at least she's still left Instead of flicking That was a disaster, dude What happened? <laughs> well uh, I actually I did record a little bit of it I blew up my blender It just <laughs> was annihilated Really? Uh, yeah It was old uh, oh. So then I finished with the food processor, which is a nice machine, but not exactly, you know, made for this. So I have very <laughs> chunky, messy, mm. but delicious. Yeah. Date shake. Yes. Oh, man. Is it? So cheers. Cheers. Here's to, here's to your date shake. Here's to my date shake. Now, you've you've been having some date shakes, right? You've been like preparing, trying to see if you can find the right one. Yeah, man. I um, I did my I did my homework. Uh, All right. <clears throat> I uh, so how, how did you make yours? Well, I first you destroy your blender, yeah. And then uh, naturally, yeah. No, I just uh, I just I found a few recipes. I actually threw some um some almonds in this one. So this is dates. Well, that's why you ruined your blender. That's probably it. Uh, so this one is dates, almonds. Uh, it's it's three. <laughs> It's three different kinds of dates. Uh, <laughs> almonds, Man. milk, and ice cream. Uh, all, I mean, the, the dates are from California and Tunisia. The Tunisia. milk is from right here in Wisconsin. And the ice cream is from literally like 100 feet away. But the ice cream factory I live next to. So That's pretty cool. Yeah. I got my... Uh... I got my ice cream from this uh, this little roadside um, shop called Trader Joe's. Oh, they I've make heard a of that. they make a real nice vanilla flavored ice cream. Mm. So I got that. Was that from California? Uh, I don't know where that. I think that they're Swedish, mm. maybe German. I don't know. Trader Joe's. Whatever it is that they do, um, it's good and it's cheap. And they say it's organic. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But I, I, I used, um, I used, I didn't use whole milk. I think that would have been a nice way to do it. The way that I did it is I, I got a cup of dates. 
Um, they were pitted California dates. I got from this um, this 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 company. They used to just sell books online, but now they will send you anything. It's like and I, uh, I think it's like it's a rainforest. It's like albatross or something like that. Argon or yeah, I don't know. Something something to do with the rainforest. But anyways, they um, they sent me a, a they sent me a bag of California pitted dates. Now you want to work with pitted dates because you know. Obviously, after spending some time in Europe, Europe really frowns upon the practice of pitting anything. Like yeah, it, so you get it, olives all all whole. You get a whole olive. You you get a seed in your grape. You get you know all that stuff. They don't they don't cut corners. You're gonna have to you know spit out the seeds of your watermelon. They're just fine with it. You your know they don't they don't take olives, the, right? they don't take the shells off their shrimp, and they say that it that, tastes but... better. They put them like they eat the shells. Oh no 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 no! But like if you buy, I've never eaten shrimp in my life, so I, don't, I have no idea. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> well, in America, you can get de de shelled, de veined shrimp. You know, in Italy, I think you can buy live shrimp, and that you deal with it yourself because Pop it tastes better. It tastes better that way. Huh. Italy likes their food to taste good. Americans like to eat more of the food, so. I'd like to eat they, more of the food. They try to cut the corners so that they can stuff more in their mouths. Which, you know, it's worked for us so far. So that date um, thing was crazy. Like You sent as, me a, you sent me a date video. You should watch you should watch it and then we can re-record this exact podcast again. Well, just week. sum it up for me. What happened? <laughs> That's why uh, you're my guest. About dates. It was a uh yeah, I'm the you 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 brought the the pavement knowledge. I I bring the very recently acquired date knowledge. Yes. Uh, again, like I said earlier, like when you, I had never heard of California date shake until, um, until I heard from you and you heard yeah. from Bob. I heard Bob. Uh, and I had imagined again, it was like, kind of, you know, it has California in the name. It probably has like, you know, kale or something as well. But in fact, it's like, it's, it's, uh, it, you know, it's, the the date industry in the Coachella Valley, there's a bunch of, and have long been for like a hundred years. There have been all these date farms, and and they of course sell their products by the roadside, and and so a particular one of those establishments thought, well, you know, we're selling you know date this and date this, date that, and uh, decided to make shakes out of them. It became very popular. Hmm. Yeah, so it's like a little regional industry. Um, I guess like date farming is. Is just insanely complicated and difficult. Like they, um, the palms that they grow on are, they require it to be basically a desert, um, okay. which you know the Coachella Valley is. Uh, yes. And but on top which of seems that, to, which seems to be like the ultra home of the date shake is the Coachella Valley. Yeah, that's where it's from. It's a, it was yeah. originated in 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 California. Yeah. I'm like I I can't remember exactly, but it was in the first half of of, of the 20th century. Uh, there's that. So like, there's this video online that you can see, which is, you can see it on YouTube and it's like the video that they play at like this little roadside place. Like if you show up there and it's called, it's called like, I, I'm going to get this wrong, but it's called something like the romance and sex life of the date. And, uh, which apparently was like kind of a controversial thing for them to be calling something, you know, in 1940 or whatever, they started showing this for the first time. But it sounds it sounds a little tantalizing now. Mm-hmm. For but, a fruit. Uh, yeah. 
so like these these palms need just they they can't handle any sort of you know moisture so like can't be a rainy place but they need like 10 plus feet of water per year like it's like a crazy amount of water to grow but they also need to be in a desert so like the places that they would um that they would typically grow would be in like a desert oasis where there's water beneath them but none falling from the sky and okay. so they can do that in california by you know having the yes. colorado river uh fed through there and so they you know they they have to flood these these fields but yeah every, it's like 100 and whatever degrees and super dry and then like the the process of propagation is just crazy like they not very good at uh at <laughs> propagating themselves in such a way that they will produce fruit. So it's like the labor involved is nuts. Like climbing up these, you know, 40 foot trees and like individually pollinating like each, really? each flower. And yeah, no, it's, it was wild. Jeez. So I guess you get what you pay for with a date. There, yeah. Um, yeah. There's no, um, no slow way to get around the date thing. Yeah. And the trees take he, like many years to be ready to produce fruit. Yeah. And we respect it so much, we just throw a freaking handful of them inside of a blender. And so this I is what was, I did. I was going to say, this is like my first date, <laughs> my first date experience. Yeah. I've never been like a, a date person, and they're, I'm, they're like sort of shockingly good. They're I'm really surprised. lovely. I mean, they, uh, they make sugar out of them, they're essentially just like sugar and fiber. Yeah, and I little sugar bombs. That's about all the nutritional value they have, as far as I can tell. So, like, if you're not going to enjoy how good they taste, then there's really no point. Really fantastic. When I was in Italy, I ended up making my own fruit cake there because oh. I made, yeah, I made like a, an American style fruit cake, and I I used dates along with, um, you know, all the little, um, like, blown up fluorescent sugared fruit. But I threw dates and and like Italian nuts, and I found some molasses, and it was. Amazing, yeah. such a good fruit cake. I'm a big fruit cake fan, so huh. I've never, it was one of those. I've never got into. I'm not against it, you know. There's like people make jokes about it and stuff. I don't have bad feelings about it, but it's never like. Of course, yeah. Well, you know, the fruit cake, the fruit cake uh, became very unpopular because of Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson did uh, a thing where he talked like talked badly about fruit cakes, and it just kind of stopped. Yeah, 1978. Johnny Carson had this joke. The worst gift is a fruitcake. There's only one fruitcake in the entire world, and people keep sending it to each other. <laughs> Give him a break. It's 1978. He did the same thing to toilet paper. He'd said that there was a, sh a toilet paper shortage as, as a joke, and then the toilet paper industry blew up. Everybody bought all the toilet paper, and then there actually was a toilet paper shortage. I had not heard that. That's how it was back in the day, when there was yes. three channels and... They didn't have tape cassettes back then to listen to music and, um, <laughs> you know, deter your your focus from what was on those three channels of television. Uh, um, so, anyways, back to this. This is how I made my date shake. Yeah, please. I took a, I took a first. I took a cup of dates and I poured some scalding water on them, um, and then I put them in the refrigerator um, because I guess you want to soften the dates with the hot water. But also, you don't really want to work with a hot date when you're hey, hey when you're when you're putting it in with your ice cream because you want your ice cream to be cold. So uh. I did that. I put it in the freezer or the refrigerator about forty five minutes. Took it out, drained the water, put the dates in the blender along with about a half a cup of milk 
and I sort of used the milk as the way to, um, you know, make the date turn into a paste or, you know, kind of get super chunky on its own before adding the ice cream. After that, I added what seemed like is maybe a pint of ice cream and a little bit more milk and then stirred that around, threw it in a glass and uh, poured some whipped cream on top of it. Ooh. Yeah. Big fan of the, the whipped cream on I, top I, of the, the are you, shake. Are, are you finding it pleasing? It is delightful. Um, I, you know, and I looked around in the world of date shake making, and they said, you know, if you want to put some nutmeg or some cinnamon on there, you can. Because um, the date is kind of a caramely tasting sort of thing. Um, I also saw someone that was putting cocoa in with it. And, you know, it's probably works too. I mean, really, at the end of the day, you know, a date is just a really um, sweet, sweet, sweet thing. Yeah, I think um, there's a lot that you could do with this uh, this palette. Because it really is. I mean, it's, it, it, it's not a vanilla milkshake, but I mean, it's it's subtly flavored. And so there are a lot of things that you could, uh, a lot of ways yeah. that you could color that. Sure. Also, I think um, your way is way too fussy, and the and and the proper way to do it is simply to explode your blender instead. That's always an option. I'll try that next time. <laughs> um, but what else? I mean, I saw there's a lot of like there's the Florida style date shake, and they oh, put like they, they put yogurt and banana and all this hippie stuff in there. Um, and I think that would work, probably work well and and probably be more healthy. As I said, the date has zero nutritional value. Somebody said maybe there's potassium in it. Yeah. My my thing said that there was no significant amount of potassium in it. Um, maybe that's what the banana's for. You can get your. Hey, we're gonna be hearing from the date in industry. <laughs> well, I mean, I just hear it's a couple guys on the roadside that's uh, <laughs> throwing throwing these into their um, you know about to be broken blenders. Yeah, making and, sex um, movies about the date. Making yeah. sex movies about dates. Wait, it is called a date, right? It makes sense. I get it. I think we'll tell. I think I'll call this my. My um, pavement date with Ikea shake. Oh, ah, right. Did you think about that beforehand? <laughs> I did. I thought about it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you ever, so here's a little funny um, uh, side story is like, they have a song called date with Ikea, which is written by um, Scott Canberg. Mm -hmm. And um, I think as a promotional thing, for the band, they actually, you could win a date to Ikea with Are Bob. Are you serious? Yeah, I think somebody won a contest <laughs> and went to Ikea with Bob, and it was most unnoteworthy. <laughs> <laughs> the two did not end up in a romantic relationship, <laughs> and um, I'll tell you, I've they, never had had... To go, they had to go back because they didn't buy what they intended to buy in the first place. <laughs> I've never had anything good happen there, man. Woo. It's always been for me, like, I've, all, I've only ever gone with my significant other and it's always like the most challenging Same. experience of our marriage yes <laughs> yes it's never left without a like, fight and you're like you look around and, <laughs> and there are thousands of other people also yelling at each other <laughs> yes nobody is having a good time at ikea have you heard the jazz covers i did i bought it i did i listened to it <laughs> That's the impression I had. <laughs> did you listen? Did you li give it the whole thing a listen? Yeah, you can't. I think it, I think I had to listen to it on YouTube. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, yeah, exactly. My my job my job involves a lot of uh, of reading and writing and sitting there at a computer. So like, it's one of those things that I can play okay. in the background and I won't 
because there's no lyrics, I won't be too distracted. And yeah, oh, that's cool. Yeah, now I, I could see how that works. I mean, as we said, there's a lot of melodies there. Yeah, well, it is interesting. It is interesting to hear kind of the accidental chords. Yeah, the the sort of Malcolmus kind of angular weird melodies kind of move into a genre that really is, you know, can can take those and do what it wants with them, you know? Sure. Nice. Cool, man. I think think we covered it all. Date shakes. Date shakes. Pavement. And um, maybe uh, we should get together and, and, and talk about Silver Jews, too. I'd be down. Do you know about Purple Mountains? Yeah. Yeah, that record is incredible. Yeah. And obviously, it was such a crazy thing. Like, the, the album was, came out and it was like, I don't know, I was just feeling so good about it. Even like all the, how fucking heartbreaking the lyrics are. Right? Yes. It's just like, it's, it's awful, but but beautiful and yeah and he it he like went to another level with the sadness like it's like the saddest country songs that were never made and like even even sadder really yeah um yeah his passing was was really really tragic and really um really affected affected me yeah i had a hard i honestly like i loved that record for the however many weeks it was and then like i didn't mm-hmm. listen to it and i i may not have since like and i love it i love i know the songs and everything i just like yeah you know, hard yeah. to go back to it's eerie so anyways um yeah that'll be our next job we'll uh we check we'll check it out and reconvene <laughs> and uh <laughs> what are we gonna eat bob already told me what 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 it is. Oh, yeah, so. you did. What was it? Remind me. Uh, uh, yep. Tune in and find out what Bob thinks is David Berman as a food. It's a good one. Big thanks again to Andy Hinkle for joining me. That was actually my first Zoom call. So that's why we had to make our own date shakes at home. And rest in peace, Andy Hinkle's blender. Sometimes there are casualties. And make sure you get a good blender. Maybe I, sh- I should have sent him a blender. God, I'm a terrible friend. Okay. Next episode is going to be about the Rolling Stones. Rest in peace, Charlie Watts. He passed away while I was off on vacation, so tomorrow I'm getting together with my old friend Nate Hall, who is the biggest Rolling Stones fan I know. That might be his favorite band. So that's good. He's going to school me in Rolling Stones trivia. Now, as of right now, I haven't figured out what their food is going to be. The Rolling Stones are tricky. They obviously will be the biggest band that we've ever done so far. Bigger than U2, bigger than the Ramones, bigger than ZZ Top, even bigger than Pavement, if that's possible. For me, no one's bigger than Pavement. I'm so excited to see them in Portugal. Bob, I hope you say hi. By the way, Bob Bob did stop answering my endless texts. But thank you for indulging me as long as you did. Sorry for being a fanboy. Now listen, one more thing. I'm going to try to keep these episodes weekly, but I'm also working on a new record. And podcasting is more time-consuming than you would think, especially when you're a one-man operation like I am. So I'm pretty sure we're going to have this episode ready next Monday. If not, check out a different podcast. Check out Hit Parade. That's my favorite music podcast. Okay, that's all there is. Thanks for hanging in there. It was a long show. And even a lot of it is edited out. But until next time, I'm your captain, Nathan Palin, signing off. This bank be your food. TBCBYF. I'm going to start using that. There will be no yogurt involved. Cook on and rock out, everybody. Ciao, ciao.